Welcome everyone to another episode of InCheck with Fintech organized by PCN. My name is Rogier Roep van der Voort and on this show we interview CEOs, founders and executives from the fintech space about their companies, market trends and developments. Today we'll be talking with Monica Likama. She's the co-founder and group CEO of Nordic Payment Service Provider Enfuse. She has over 20 years of experience in the payments industry and worked for companies such as Crosskey, TDC and Capgemini while starting her career in FMCG as a trainee with Unilever. Monica is a strong believer that a business is nothing without a great team and is passionate about sustainability, which has led her to co-found Enfuse, which is one of the leading fintechs in Europe, with close to 10 million end users on its platform at the moment. And last March, they raised 7 million euros in Series B funding, amongst which 5 million euros from Tencent. We will be talking with her about the founder journey of Enfuse, how they fight climate change, as well as everything open banking. Monica, welcome to the show. Thank you. Excited to be here and thanks for having me. Of course. You are based in Finland, right? Because Enfuse is actually Finnish? Yes, correct. So I am actually born personally, I'm born and raised in, in the north part of Sweden, but I'm, I'm half Finnish and half Swedish. And I moved to Finland in 96 and uh, founded the company in 2016. And we are headquartered in Helsinki. Great. Can you tell us a bit more about your background and how you came about finding Enfuse? Yeah, so uh, I'm 45 years young, soon to turn 46, mother of four. And I actually, I grew up in the north and uh, I knew that I wanted to do things that have uh, some kind of impact. So first of all, uh, when I studied, uh, I studied system architecture, so building, coding. So I was a developer back in the last millennium. And uh, during my studies, I actually worked as a taxi driver and a jail guard. So to get an insight into people are, are very different. I think it's been a good learning curve and, and really uh, useful today in my life where it's all about making sure that people understand what we do and why we do it. So I'm a strong believer also in, in the, the why. So when you do things, you need to do things that matter. Otherwise, you can just, you know, I don't know, stay at home. So uh, in 96, or sorry, in 94, 1994, I found the love of my life. So my my to-be husband. We've mm-hmm. been together ever since. And uh, since he is Finnish and his Swedish sucked more than my Finnish, <laughs> we, we agree that it's, it's better to, to build a life together on the Finnish side. And that's how we then, in order to, he's in the construction industry. So in order to find jobs for both, we moved south, so to, to the Helsinki area. And then I, I started, as you said, I work at Unilever uh, IT uh, department back in, in the days. And then I worked at Capgemini as a developer. And then I was being a bit homesick in a way that not not home as in moving to Sweden, but working in Sweden. So I had some challenges with the Finnish Finnish language back in those days. And in 97, 98, Finland wasn't the country it is today. I mean, from a diversity perspective. So a lot has changed for the better. And uh, so back then I, I was working and I wanted to work with Swede and Swedish. So I went to Telia, uh, which is a telco. So I actually joined Telia. And when I left in 2006 to found my first startup, I left TDC. So I leave the dot-com boom, uh, which I see a little bit same, uh, how should I say, 
especially before COVID hit, we, we I could really kind of feel a deja vu all over when it comes to the fintech and the money. And if we think about the crazy days of the dot-com boom, this like weirdo companies, internet, whatever, popping up to the to the right and left. And uh, then in 2006, I uh, founded my first uh, company. And through that, I ended up as a consultant at a small project called S-Bank. So S-Group, which is the biggest merchant in Finland, has everything from funeral parlors to food shops to, to gas stations, hotels. They were, were building a bank. And I ended up as a consultant helping with the bank infrastructure setup and testing. So I was a test manager. And uh, and as always, I, I did work my ass off because I, I, I like big challenges and that was a really big challenge. And and we, we pulled it off. So in 2007, in October, we launched S-Bank and uh, we migrated almost 1 million customers. And bear in mind, there are like five and a half million of us in, in total in Finland. And then we, we started growing. And uh, then I went on maternity leave with my third kid. And I was then asked to join S-Bank as the CIO. And uh, I always said that S-Bank CEO Pekka Ylihurula made an offer my husband couldn't refuse. So I went <laughs> back to work and my husband stayed home with our then three kids. And uh, oh, he also had a small project, which was building our second house. But that's like kind of easy. I mean, like that's what he do, does for a living. Uh, and uh, so I was there. We did some mergers and acquisitions, bought Citibank um, lending business in Finland. And uh, then things started to become, from my perspective, business as usual. And I was asked by Kroski Banking Solutions to come and build their card and mobile payments business. And uh, Kroski is the core bank provider and also today the card provider of S-Bank. So I jumped to the other side, so the service provider side, and built up an awesome team at a great company, Kroski. And then uh, it took me about four or five years. Uh, we did the connections to MasterCard and Visa and did a lot of great stuff and projects. Uh, then I want to scale. But Kroski is owned by Ålandsbanken, which is a bank. And it's understandable that, of course, banks' risk appetite is a bit different. And I wanted world domination and go global. And they didn't. So I knew I had to, to, to quit my job. And, I, and that's been one of the hardest decisions I've had to make. Because I said, I'm happily married, been with the same guys like forever. But it felt like what I think a divorce would feel. So when I knew that I couldn't stay, but I didn't want to leave. Uh, I quit my job and I told uh, my other co-founder, Denise, that someday we'll work again. And that someday came a bit faster than I had, had anticipated. I was doing my executive MBA at the uh, Hanken Business School in Helsinki. And I was sitting and thinking like, okay, but what do I want to do when I grow up? And in 2014, it's a bit funny, I actually had an assignment where I needed to like, you know, write down where do I want to be in two years? And since I'm a strong believer in, you know, objectives and key results, so we also lead by OKRs at Enfuse, I set up like, okay, I want to be in charge of what I do. I want to do things that matter. So I'm going to be an entrepreneur 
slash CEO by 2016. And Enfuse was founded in June 2016. And so I believe like if you, if, if you put up really big goals, when the crossroads in your life appear and you need to choose left or right, if you have that, you know, big goal, you would probably either instinctively or with some backed up data, make the decisions that you believe will guide you to, towards that uh, goal. So uh, at that point I was in Actia Bank, which is also a traditional bank. I, I knew that I would you know, be there for some time just thinking about what to do. So I, I, I didn't took a permanent uh, job. Uh, so I was thinking about, okay, what to do? And then an opportunity presented itself and I was like, called my to-be co-founders and I said like, uh, there are four, four uh, in addition to me. And I called them individually and say, if we were to build a payment service provider that is faster, better, and go globally scalable, how would we do it? And then especially my tech, tech guys, they were like, yeah, public cloud, public cloud. And I was like, nope, that's not possible. Nobody has done it on the payment side. So no, you know, critical systems for banking is put in public cloud so that nobody's going to buy from us. And then they were like, yeah, but anything else will never scale the way you want to. And I said, okay, fuck it. If that's what it takes, then that's what we'll do. Started negotiating with AWS and Microsoft and ended up having a really good collaboration with both. And, and then for technical reasons and others, we chose AWS. They were far ahead back then and of course still are. And then we got the Financial Supervisory Authority audience. audience. So I went there, presented our case. And since I've been there many times before, but representing banks as an IT director or, or business representative, I knew what their challenges were that they were looking at and I could answer them and show them how we would do it. And that's the beginning of Enfuse. So we started off by then signing our first customer, ST1. It's an energy company in the Nordics. They also own the Shell brand here. And they wanted to issue uh, MasterCard credit cards in three countries. And I always said that we started it the hard way so we didn't start with prepaid debit functionality. We started with hardcore uh, revolving credit, three countries, three currencies, uh, two time zones, three different legislations, etc. direct connections to MasterCard. And then also we had done the project. It took four months to do everything. And then we were ready to start issuing the cards. Then the owner of ST1, one of the owners were like, yeah, I want to launch when Apple Pay, you know, Apple Pay had, con Apple had contacted and we want to launch when Apple Pay comes to, to Nordics. And I was like, yeah, sure, fine. What does it mean? I went to do this tokenization project and then we need to have the app certified. I was like, yeah, yeah, okay, that, what's the timeline? And this was in May 2017. And Apple told us, in order for you to be on the launch, you need to be ready by September 2017. 
And then I asked MasterCard, okay, but just so I understand, how long does a typically uh, tokenization project take? And they were like, yeah, nine to 12 months. I said, okay, fine, we have three. <laughs> and we did it. So, so I think that's when the things changed. So we did things that, yeah, nobody had done before, but we did it because we knew how to do it, because we have done the similar type of services before. And I have a great team. And I remember one bank calling me in, in October when we had launched and it became public. So Nodea launched with Nets and Enfuse launched for ST1. And a bank called me and said like, hey, Monica, now you come here. And I was like, yeah, sure, What what is it? I mean, this Apple Pay thing, how is that possible? I said, yeah, we did it. How many are you? I said, we're 15. And there's like 15, you can't be 15 and do this kind of stuff. I said, but we have and it works. Uh, and that was the beginning. So then we've been doing a lot of things. So as I said, consumer products, debit, prepaid, uh, gift card, anything we have when it comes to payment and also consumer. And today we are connected to Visa and MasterCard. And then we went into open banking because PSD2 compliance is part of the capabilities that you need to have to, to, to do secure payments. So it's not just about account-to-account -account payments or account data, it's also about card payments. So a lot of the PSD2 regulation is there to, to protect us people, consumers, but also enable the big players to open up so that we can all, you know, access data that is ours. And now we've grown. So we are around eight, uh, 75, I would say, currently. Uh, and uh, yeah, looking to grow. So Germany, Benelux, uh, and France and UK are on the on the market now uh, or the, the the focus market and uh, for us of course Scandinavia is our home market so Sweden Finland Norway Denmark uh, Iceland and the Baltics that's how we how we see it we have a customer in the Middle East also and uh, yeah looking to scale uh, and then my carbon action was our latest service we launched that little over a year ago, just before the pandemic broke out. And it was really to, how should I, to, to, to put the money where our mouth is. So when we talk about building a company that has a purpose, that has been really important because I'm, I'm too old to do this again. So I, I really wanna leave something behind that, that is better than, than kind of when I came into it and, and leave something that my, my kids can be proud of. And so we were looking at like the core, core values of Enfuse have always been sustainability. And it's not about just, you know, green stuff and climate. It's also about taking care of our employees. When we build stuff, we build it to scale, et cetera, and that it's sustainable. And then collaboration. I mean, we wouldn't be here if we wouldn't be good at collaborating. And still, I think the communication is, you know, the hardest thing in the world and make sure that everyone is aligned. And thinking big and excellence are, are things. So really building a value-driven company, that's important. And then to actually have a service that embodies it. And that's how My Carbon Action was born. So we were looking at what do we do for a living? I mean, we, we store and process sensitive data and payment data. What is payment data? Payment data is kind of the fact of what you have paid, meaning what you have bought 
meaning what you have consumed, what you have emit. So 70% of the CO2 emissions globally that causes the climate change are derived from what we as people, consumers, do and buy. And since we have that fact or what has been bought, how can we use that in a positive way to help us people to change our behavior so that our behavior reduces the amount of CO2 emissions? And that's where we are now. And, and that's really, I have to say, if anything else never happens, I am proud and happy of the company that we are becoming and the things we are doing. And I'm really, I don't know, baffled by all the awesome people that have joined and are joining us. So that's in short. I'm sorry it wasn't very short, but that's... <laughs> Great. I love the story. There's a lot of good stuff in there. So just from my understanding, so your core services are card issuing, open banking, payments, and My Carbon Action. Is that right? Correct. That is right. We started PCN 12 years ago with a view to serving the fintech community from a growth perspective. Since 2008, PCN has helped household names in fintech as well as the largest global merchants grow with the best talent who have specific financial technology experience. If you are a VC with a portfolio of fintech businesses, a scale-up looking to hire the best talent, or a merchant looking to hire a head of payments or an entire payments team, get in touch today for a no-obligation consultation on how PCN can help you accomplish your hiring goals. So let's talk a bit more about My Carbon Action because you're very passionate about sustainability, about going from payments to purpose. And I think you did a cooperation with Rabobank for My Carbon Action. Is that right? Yes. So we we were contacted by Rabobank. So we had a good fortune also that we were we were mentioned in by Bloomberg. Uh, when we launched, uh, and we launched at Slush back in the days, so when Slush was still happening physically, the event in Helsinki, and and, and apparently, hopefully, they are back again this year uh, if we get all the the things with the pandemic going going the right way. Uh, so uh, Rabobank contacted us, and they were like, for them, it's really important to be a bank, also to put the money where the mouth is. So so be a sustainable and really impact. Uh, and there were these awesome people working and still are at, at Rabobank and they are committed. So we started off by, okay, what can we do to guide the people uh, to behave in a more sustainable way? And then we introduced My Carbon Action and we learned a lot. I, I must say that it's been an exciting journey because there are a lot of hypotheses and especially as Finns, we are really, uh, how should I say, <laughs> We really like things to be precise, you know, that it has to be like we're on time and it has to be precise. But when we launched my carbon action and, and we took the, you know, the CO2 emission that you could see that, OK, now I, I took a car and I drive this kind of car. The emissions per kilometer is something. And we were like, yeah, it needs to be like 0.25 kilograms per kilometer. And then we found out that nobody gives a shit. <laughs> about the preciseness it has to be right so the data needs to be as good as you can have it but to give it context and there i have to say that i'm i've been really happy so when we were building my carbon action i knew that i had the tech so you know i can store and process sensitive data and i can access this 
but I don't, I'm not a scientist, so I'm not a climate change scientist or in any way. So I need to have the credibility. So I went looking uh, globally uh, for, for a partner and actually found it close to home. So a company called DMAT, uh, which is German Finnish, and they are professors and, and collaborate globally, had done now 18 years of studies in lifestyle carbon footprints. And then I, I got their technical report when I saw that, you know, an average Finn emits 10.4 tons of CO2 a year. And then it's like, okay, is that good or bad? No, that's bad because in order for us to keep to the Paris Agreement, so the 1.5 degree rise in climate, we should be under three tons of CO2 emissions by 2030. And then you understand that I need to reduce by 70%. And then it's like, okay, is it so much that I just give up? No, because there are actually three categories in my lifestyle that emits the most. So it's what I eat, how I live, and how I go from A to B. So nutrition, housing, and mobility. And then when you start looking in the tips and how can I change, that's what we started implementing. So with Rabobank, we implemented first just a calculation where you said, okay, now I bought here for this amount of money. So the CO2 emission is something. And what we also understood is that there is a difference in countries. So if you live, live in Sweden or Finland or the Netherlands or France or China or Brazil, the emissions are different because of the infrastructure also, which means that, for example, a person in, average person in Finland for the mobility emits more than an average person in France, and mostly because of the, most of the electricity produced in France are produced by nuclear power. And there are a lot of these things. And then we realize that, you know, it matters that it has to be country specific or region specific if there are you know countries that are alike and the infrastructure because it matters and then it matters how i as an individual behave and that's how we started off uh, with with my carbon action and rabobank and and we saw that when we introduced the lifestyle test where i just say about not give more information about who i am so i don't need to know if you're a man or woman or anything like that but i need to know like are you vegan? Do you like, do you eat mostly meat? What kind of car do you drive or don't you drive? Do you fly? What kind of house do you live in? Those matters. And that's how our calculation is more into guiding a consumer to change behavior so that the absolute amount equals reduction in emissions. That's in, again, not very short, but that's, that's what we do. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider subscribing in order to receive every episode as it's published. The fintech space is ever-changing, and we care about keeping you up to date with the latest happenings in this exciting space. If you wish to appear on the next episode of In Check with Fintech, please email podcast at teampcn.com. That's podcast at teampcn.com. So it's very much about making people conscious about the footprint they have through their consumer consuming behavior. 
Yeah, and then helping them to change. Because I think here, uh, kudos to everyone doing something. I always say that you are either part of the solution or you're part of the problem. But I really believe that sustainable change happens from positive reinforcement. So if we just go about and say, oh, fuck, I'm su I suck so much, why even bother? I think that's a bad thing. So everyone, and I, I think one of the things I also heard, and I was probably one of those who were like, Oh, it's not me, it's the Chinese. It's not me, it's the US people. And that's not true. We only have one planet, which means that everyone can make the changes. And if we all make the changes in our lifestyles on the things that we can, you know, easily reduce, it's still a reduction. So that then we are going towards the right path instead of being forced in 10 years to take a path that we could start, you know, merging towards now. So I think that's that's important to understand. We all need to make changes and, and we will be, we are aware or we will be painfully aware going forward. And that's why I believe in positive reinforcement. I mean, I, I have four kids. If I try to threaten them to do something, it works much harder than if I try to do it by positive reinforcement. So how does this drip through in the business, in the decisions that you make? Does this have an impact um, on the way that MFUSE operates? Yeah, definitely. I mean, like it, it's from everything we do. Uh, like with AWS, we run, we run in Frankfurt and Stockholm. So for us, the renewable energy, that's important. So the sites are, are, are run on renewable. But when it comes, of course, the, the collaboration and the partners we, we work with, it, there has to be the mindset. Like, for example, Tencent. Uh, if you think about the Tencent put in 5 million, in Enfuse, yeah, I think it's exciting and I'm really thrilled. And, and I mean, like more than the money, I'm thrilled that we have Dr. Ling Ji in our board. She, she's really an awesome person, PhD in quantum computing, etc. so smart. But for, for her also, and for Tencent, it's what was about how do we do things more sustainable? And, and I have to say, how do we do it without it being greenwashing? So that it actually has an impact uh, and, and a change. So that's that's important. So those are the decisions. So who do we work with? What are the services we do? And uh, also, it is about value. So I do believe that uh, it's important to, you know, walk the talk. You know, there are so many talking uh, but not doing. And I, I do have to say that the time for talk has to stop and time for action has to start. Great, and, we great have, yeah. Yeah, and here I have to say we have this internal saying that, you know, we don't do shit, but we get shit done. And I think that's kind of summarize it, how we work internally. And I'm not allowed to use that so much publicly because that's not very politically correct. But I hired actually a new marketing director, or our first one. We haven't had it before. And he was like, no, just be you and say, thank you. <laughs> so <laughs> continuing on that path. That's great. I love how sustainability is such a core of your business and one of your biggest values by the sound of it. It's really cool to see. Um, I don't think there's a lot of fintechs who I've seen at least do that to the same extent as you have. Yeah, and I, for, for us, it's, I mean, like we, we had sustainability on the agenda before it became, you know, uh, this 
hip or hit or whatever you can call it. And it's because it has to be. I mean, like not having it is it's uh, I think that's not sustainable business. So what I'm hoping and what I believe in is that when we talk about from payments to purpose, it's actually that I, I have this saying that for the customer that we are customers, we are currently offering. So I, my, I make my money from card issuing. So I enable good players like Rocker and Playo to issue awesome uh, payments products as part of their services that enables lives to be easier. And I've always said that someday, soon, and probably sooner now because I said it out loud, I will make people pay me more money not to have my carbon action as part of their, their service. So today it's a value add or a standalone, but I think it's just because, again, it's a lot of talk and people are a bit scared. Like banks, they never want to be first. They want to be third or fourth because they're always scared of how people will react to stuff. But I believe that in like, let's say three to five years, hopefully, we can really see that if you don't enable these kind of calculators or lifestyle uh, helping devices or whatever, you will not be relevant. So I know then when we started off Enfuse, we were like, yeah, we run in cloud. That's so cool because no one, and now it's like, yeah, well, that's basic shit. Anyone needs to do it. And I'm hoping like this CO2 emission stuff, it, it will be the same, that the ones who don't believe it today, players, they, in five, 10 years time, they will buy it anyway, so they can enable it to their customer just because they're, you know, this fear of missing out. And I think that is a good thing to have. So more customers, I had one, one guy was asking me like, but Monica, which bank can I have in Finland that I can have this, my carbon action in use? I said, no one because the Finnish haven't yet bought from us. So we are focusing on other parts of the world. But in the end of the day, it's like we live on the same planet. So we have the same problems. We need to fix them together. Let's talk a bit more about the hesitation of banks you mentioned, which I think is also a nice bridge to one of your other focus areas, being open banking and what's going on there. I mean, you've been working for banks yourself. Um, you see now, I guess, firsthand how some banks might be hesitating across Europe you see different levels of implementation going on, some banks being more receptive to it than others. How do you see the future outlook on open banking and PSD2? Yeah, I actually worked at S-Bank, CIO, back in 2007 when Payment Service Directive, so PSD1, if you want to call it that, came. And then PSD2 came uh, 2016, and then everyone was freaking out, like banks were like, oh my God, why do we need to give out the the data. And then I think one of the biggest things was also, especially if you've been around for a long time as a bank, your infrastructure ha can be quite challenging. So, you know, if you bought other banks, etc., so the, the infrastructure can be quite a nightmare. So how do you enable, you know, APIs and consent management and strong authentication and all those requirements. So everyone was kind of fighting against PSD2 and open banking, whether they liked it or not, for many different reasons. I think UK did it very smart that they, you know, decided, okay, let's, let's, let's do it together and let's make it happen. I think the challenge is now that now in UK, uh, open banking has been exactly that. 
open banking and comply to PSD2. But what we talk about and what we believe in is open data. So we will go from open banking to open business to open data. And in between, we will have open government. So it's about data in general and that we as people, for whatever reasons, can access and give consent to use our data and get something in return. So that's what we, we looked at. And yeah, I do think uh, that... It, it's still very early days. I know many people and and also these kind of so-called experts uh, in some panels are like, yeah, open banking, PSD2 was a failure, blah, blah, blah. But it hasn't even started because I, I was in some open banking panel, I think it was Citibanks, and I was there with Daniel Chalene, who is the CEO and founder of Tink. And he, he said it very well. He said that like 80% of their access to, to banks in Europe are, to, are through something else than PSD2 compliant APIs. And that says that 80% of the banks hasn't done, you know, gotten their shit together. And uh, for us, we started doing PSD2 compliance capabilities because PSD2 compliance requirements, so opening access to accounts, also applies to card issuance. Uh, so if there is an account that you can access through internet, meaning an app, then you need to provide uh, third party providers access to it. So that's where we started off. And then we were contacted by a major Finnish bank and their Baltic banking like, hey, can you help us out to be compliant? And, and remember, we Finn are very compliance driven nation in general, you know, we like to be on time, we like to be compliant, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so we started off with that. And then we've also had the hub where we can connect to some banks just to, to check it out and really see how things are progressing. And then we're also a third party provider ourselves. So we have a payment institution license to do payment initiation, account information services. So I can really say I know the hard way that uh, banks are still in early days, but I believe that the notion of open banking going to PSD3 or PSD4 or global whatever is something that will happen. I think what we should talk more about is how do we get a great, secure and easy way of getting us people from the physical world into the digital world. And then I talk about strong authentication methods, so tech to do biometrics, etc. But in order to go into the world of digital, you know, knowing your customers, so the KYC, KYB, those are important. I think we talk way too little about those today because those, it's like the, if we talk about open banking, it's the car, but, uh, you know, the strong authentication method, that's the key to the car. So it's hard to drive unless you can get into it. Is it people then almost skipping that step of strong customer authentication? Yeah, definitely. We can see that's why we, we have still like 80% access through screen scraping, reverse engineering. So kind of faking it until you make it. Mm -hmm. And I had one uh, person today, she was actually like, but 
because we talked about some player and said, yeah, yeah, but they are still like major, major access is, is through, you know, reverse engineering or screen scraping. And, but, but that's not uh, allowed anymore. I said, yeah, that's true. But then on the other hand, if the banks don't enable compliant APIs, then that's a problem. And then, of course, if you think about who would be the ones who would need to supervise this, well, then it's the national conduct authorities, aka financial supervisory authorities. They are not third-party providers, meaning they don't know how good or bad the API infrastructure of a certain bank is, unless someone is snitching. <laughs> so I think that's the challenge still today. But as I said, evolution, not revolution. So early days still. If you say it's early days and you've seen PSD1 being implemented and now see what's going on with uh, PSD2, how long do you think it will take to get PSD2 fully implemented? Five to ten years. Uh, because you need to understand that if you look at a bank, I, I used to be a bank CIO, and if I look at the bank, I mean, like, compliance stuff, it's really kind of... You know, it's not like you're making money of it. You need to have it. So if you think about just how much money would you put in com compliance, of course you will put what you need to put, but that's it. So unless we can start seeing good business cases utilizing the open banking data capabilities, then it will still take even longer. Because why, or let's put it like this, if a bank changes infrastructure, they are often quite costly and, and big projects. I mean, like we talk years and multi-million implementation. So that's one of the challenges. Then to take in third parties that could do it easily and help, like we, what we do. I mean, like to do it to OP Bank, it's a 200-year-old it's a bank. What ha had to happen was that the technical implementation took like one month uh, and it took nine months to agree to the agreement because we also had to be approved as a major outsourcing service provider by the FSA. So I think those are the challenges currently on the table. And I think maybe not too much information on how you can do it in an easy way. And also, if you look at a bank, uh, a bank, there are two types of, and now I'm, of course, a bit uh, simplifying. There are two types of people in a bank. They are the people who are incentivized and measured by KPIs of growth. So CEO, business development, and so forth. And then there are people that are, are measured uh, and incentivized by zero risk. So IT, security, etc., and And are deemed the cost. And then you already understand that there are already inbuilt the paradox already. So to get the change required, it is challenging because I have the background and, and, and courage to say it's a mindset shift. Tech is not a problem. I mean, like tech has been a problem for, I don't know, 15, 20 years. But mindset is a problem. And before we get that on the works and then actually start implementation, I would say five to 10 years is before we have like major major changes within within open banking. And then I hope that we get the governments on board so you know you can like be focused from what would it what kind of services would I as a person need? You know, 
we talk at Enviews about hybrid people, uh, and what we mean is like, you know, a per person like myself, I am consumer customer and a corporate customer at the same time, because I'm an entrepreneur. So why can't I have a so-called super app like WeChat or something to have a super where I can like, you know, live my life and have everything made simple? Well, it's because many of the society businesses and, and divisions in banks are siloed. They are, okay, we are the corporate bank side or we are the private bank side or we are the consumer bank side. But if I'm the person, I am often many things. Could someone please give me services? And here is a hint. If there is someone out there wanting to service me as a person, please do it and I can have I can enable you the tech to do it with. But but again, put it short, it's it's a mindset thing. That's interesting. But great. I mean, yeah, let's go back to, to Enfuse then. It's exciting to see how you live and breathe sustainability throughout the company. What's what's next for you guys? Uh, growth, uh, definitely. Uh, and, and growth in that sense that, um, you know, in the end of the day, you need to be a certain size to be sustainable. So that's for sure one thing. And uh, what we're doing is that we're also... Uh, making so I have this dream that my services could be you know self-service bought and you can easily take more so we started with MVPs and then you can grow and you can grow to countries like with Playo it's awesome like the setup we have with them is they're just scaling into different countries and currency and I'm, I'm just applauding them so when we implement the tech in a way that enables our customers to grow that's really exciting but then of course we need to grow so what I want to do is take Enfuse Global and then, of course, my carbon action. Since we believe in region and country specific data to help the customer change, we're doing a lot of, uh, of course, uh, fine tuning and developing my carbon action to be a, a global service. So currently focusing heavily on on Europe and then also looking to East and West. Uh, but yeah, growth is definitely the, the target for 2022. Uh, for 2020, 2021, we had this theme of focus. So focus and, and getting the objectives in place so that we can really steer the ship towards then 2022 and growth. And so I, I think having an impact, that's the important thing. And of course, for me personally, um, as I said, 45 or turning 46, I would really want to at 55 or 60 look back and say, damn, I built an amazing company with amazing people and, and was lucky to be part of the journey. And I also look at Jeff Bezos, like when he was 40 and now when he's over 60 and I said, damn, you could look much better at 60 than in 40. And if I now look at my <laughs> picture, like, Five years of Enfuse, me and my co-founder Denise, like, what the fuck just happened to us? And it's called Enfuse. But I believe that when I'm older, I will look better than when I look today, because maybe then I can sleep more. But that's in short. <laughs> Fair enough. I mean, if people want to find out more, follow your growth, uh, where can they go? Where can they find you? Yeah, they can find us pretty much everywhere and anywhere. And, and as a small hint, if, if you want to reach out, do 
anything but send me emails. So WhatsApp, you can Twitter, you can find on LinkedIn, WeChat, I mean like Messenger, any pretty much anywhere except email because I, I'm, I'm like seriously bombarded by a lot of emails and I suck at reading emails and especially if you can't be you know, if you can't put it into 140 characters, that's probably why I like Twitter. It's like no BS. You really need to be able to compress if you want to have something of value to say that someone should be interesting and actually have a call to action. So Twitter, LinkedIn, Enfuse.com, uh, you can find us. Great. So keep it short by the sounds of it. It's 140 signs, basically. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Great, Monica. Well, Thanks for being on the show. It's been great to have you and wish you the best of luck with the plan growth as well as making an impact. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. And thanks everyone for tuning in to this week's episode of In Check with Fintech. If you've not done so already, don't forget to subscribe to us through our Apple iTunes or Spotify and tune in next week again for a new fresh episode. Thanks very much. Thanks for listening, and we'd like to leave you with a more serious message from a partner, Free a Girl, who are dedicated to fighting child prostitution and impunity all over the world. Hi, I'm Evelyn, CEO and founder of Free a Girl. Every day, two million children, especially girls, are being held captive worldwide. They are locked up and exploited in brothels, dance bars, or online, forced into sexual exploitation. Their freedom is taken away together with their youth, family and future. We are dedicated to fight sexual exploitation of children by rescuing these girls. Please join us, unlock their freedom and unlock your potential by becoming a business partner. Please visit freeagirl.com for more information. Thank you.